Kabbalah Afshar. Tell us who you are. Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Vala Afshar. I am the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce. And what does that mean? Steve, that's a great question. Uh, so a little background. I became, uh, my company and I became Salesforce customers in uh, 2003 when Salesforce was only four years old. And uh, at the time, I was tasked to run global services. And uh, fast forward 12 years, I was able to work with an exceptional team and deploy Salesforce CRM across our entire enterprise. This was, um, you know, an organization that was about 2,000 strong, producing about $700 million of revenue annually. And uh, in 2015, uh, I decided that my next career chapter would be at a software company. And given the fact that I had spent 12 years working closely with Salesforce as someone who ran engineering, ran customer service and support, and my last assignment was the chief marketing officer of Extreme Networks, I felt that this is a company that had the right core values and guiding principles and unquenchable thirst for technology. So as a practitioner who was really promoting better use of technology to grow your business and delight your customers, I was given a chance to come and share my knowledge as a practitioner and also someone who was a fairly strong advocate of CRM. Um, and uh, so the chief digital evangelist was a combination of research, storytelling, consulting, um, you know, you and I work uh, on the, the t t technology part of Salesforce. So we're aligned to the, on the product side of the company. And uh, when you have the privilege, like you and I, to meet with so many trailblazing customers and partners and, and MVP communities, uh, we have a chance to recognize that thought leadership exists uh, in the field. And anytime there's an opportunity for us to enhance our technological roadmap, by learning from our trailblazer customers and partners and communities, we can bring that insight inside of Salesforce and really shape our product portfolio so that you know we're co-creating meaningful value. Um, so long answer to your question, storyteller, connector, advisor, but really a lifelong student at a company that has had an incredible heritage of innovation. I feel like a kid in a candy store working uh, at Salesforce, and I know you feel the same. So uh, let's go back just for a second to uh, the company that you were working at uh, when you said you were using Salesforce. What was that about? Why, why Salesforce? I mean, what was the, uh, you've talked about technology sure. uh, being at the heart of what your, where your interests lie. Uh, what was it about Salesforce that uh, uh, brought you into the Ohana, as it were? Sure, sure. So, so I, you know, I went to school, undergraduate and graduate, studying electrical engineering. So I had an engineering um, training, and I spent uh, the first 10 years of my career out of grad school uh, leading, first as a single contributor, a software developer, but then ultimately in a vice president capacity, leading an engineering organization that was building um, connectivity solutions, uh, data center solutions, switching routing technologies at the enterprise service provider scale. Uh, so competing against companies like Cisco. 
And, um, but with a company that lacked the strong brand like Salesforce or Cisco. So when you have a company that doesn't have a strong brand, but you have strong products and you have strong service, you know, in order to compete and win, you have to make sure the marriage experience is better than the courtship experience. Mm. Um, because ultimately there's buyer's remorse if you fail to deliver on promises. Uh, when, you, when, when a customer, you know, is willing to put their precious dollars and build best of breed, even if it means the best of breed is not the strongest brand in the market or strongest market share. So uh, in 2003, the CEO of my company asked uh, me to apply some of the engineering discipline and rigor and philosophy that we put towards building world-class quality products into building a world-class quality service organization. Mm -hmm. And anytime you speak to, you know, solid engineering organizations, you realize that they govern based on the principles of grounded truth. Um, a few years ago, MIT Sloan uh, interviewed surgeons and they talked about the importance of analyzing and, and collecting and analyzing data. And surgeons would say it's important for us because we want to get to grounded truth. Part of the magic of digital transformation is that you can measure uh, across multiple dimensions and not rely on the last conversation or your gut feel or you know, past experience. You can get to the grounded truth. Where in my company, we applied extreme, extreme amount of rigor in terms of functional specifications and engineering development processes that adhere to exact thing that we wanted to build. Well, that discipline didn't exist in the service organization. Uh, I realized in 2003, a team and I, when we were trying to decide how do you build a world-class service organization so that you can compete and win because the marriage experience is better than the courtship experience, I soon realized that we didn't have uh, a system, we didn't have technology that allowed us to understand and improve our, the customer relationship. And so I was exposed for the first time in my career when Salesforce was only four years old to this concept of customer relationship management, whereby you can get to the grounded truth, meaning understanding the quality and, 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 and the promise that you make to, to your customers, to your business partners in terms of serviceability. So we went from Excel spreadsheets to sticky notes to institutional knowledge with some of our veterans in our call centers and ultimately built what was uh, an award-winning uh, service organization. And, you know, we had a net promoter score of 81 uh, for anyone who is listening and understands uh, any, anything greater than 50 net promoters considered world-class. Only companies like Harley-Davidson have loyalty measured at that level. And that's what we had. We had employee uh, attrition that was less than 2% for six years running. Anybody who runs a call center knows that on average attrition in call centers could be around high teens, 18, 19% annually. And we were under 2%. And um, ultimately my company, which was Boston based, was named by the Boston Globe, which was the premier newspaper as the fourth best place to work out of 1600 companies in the area. And when press and media analysts and institutions that were uh, curious about how we were growing and delighting not just our customers, but our employees, um, I started to really reflect on what is it that's helping us gain that competitive advantage. And upon deep reflection, I realized that, you know, leaning into CRM as the center of gravity for our business 
we were able to mature as an organization where we were graduating from using data to describe the past, descriptive use of analytics, to understanding why things happen, diagnostic use of analytics, to now applying algorithms to better forecast what we hope to achieve in the future, predictive use of analytics. And then ultimately, this is back in 2009, 2010, in the absence of machine learning and, and neural networks, deep learning, and all of the amazing artificial intelligence science capabilities that exist today, we simply used weighted sum regression algorithms that were available to us within the platform to graduate to prescriptive use of analytics, whereby our service sales marketing professionals had advice from the CRM platform in terms of what they needed to do to achieve success. So from 2003, where we were using the platform as a system of record to, 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 to 2010, 11, where I felt we were now starting to use the system uh, as a system of engagement to now today where it's the, uh, to me, it's a, it's a system of, you know, in intelligent advisory uh, where, you know, today a, a customer, a Salesforce customer is being, um, is, it has augmented intelligence. I, I think when I think of AI, there's nothing artificial about it. To me, the A should really be augmented intelligence where our platform today is really guiding sales, guiding service, guiding marketing, guiding the community in terms of what is it you can do in near real time, leveraging the insights you've gathered across multiple lines of business that adds value to your stakeholders, not just your employees, your customers, your partners, and more importantly, the communities that you serve. So, you know, ultimately that was my journey with the platform. And, you know, today I have the fortune, like yourself, the good fortune of really working with change agents and trailblazers who are looking to advance their capabilities and deliver a competitive edge that's unique to them and their stakeholders by really becoming data-driven organizations. And yeah, let's this unpack thing, that a little, uh, sure. data-driven. What does that mean? That's a, so look, I, when I think of, when I think of, when I think of what's happening in the, and this is going to be a roundabout way of describing it, but this is how I think about it. When I think about, uh, you know, when I listen to Elon Musk and I look at what Tesla is doing, um, and th this incredible explosive uh, velocity, both, both uh, speed and direction of autonomous vehicles from self-parking to you can fetch the car and, you know, in a very near future, you know, in, uh, uh, in, you know, in the next, in my opinion, three to four years, you're at level three autonomy where, you know, you can safely, comfortably be in a car and you're not, uh, your, predominant, you, your primary focus is not operating the car. In fact, uh, in the last, uh, you know, um, forecast call, Musk talked about the algorithm in terms of autonomy will be code freeze by end of this calendar year. And it'll be the critical path will be all of the safety and regulations and the fine tuning of the algorithms. But the major chunks of that algorithm in terms of autonomy is in place. So why do I talk about data driven and autonomy? I think about the, the opportunities uh, where I, have an, uh, I, I sit in front of business leaders and today more and more CEOs, not just CIOs or CMOs or CTOs. Uh, this notion of leveraging data to deliver a better experience has become a boardroom topic. And in our latest Salesforce survey, global survey, 
of about 10,000 consumer and business buyers, the, the, the research was called State of the Connected Customer. For the first time, 84% of the respondents, again, 10,000 consumer business buyers around the globe, said that the customer experience is perhaps more important than the product or service that a company provides. 84% believe the experience. And in this experience-led economy, in order to build your anticipatory muscle, where you're delivering to and meeting and exceeding the expectation of the connected customer, you need data in order to anticipate. But let me get back to the autonomous piece. When I think of companies that are doing well and are you know, leaders in terms of customer experience, I think of companies like Disney. Disney, five years ago, decided to invest a billion dollars on this thing called Magic Band. If you've ever been to a Disney property, you put a wrist bracelet, you know, put a bracelet around your wrist and you walk around the campus and you open your door into your room and you get a fast pass to get on a ride and you make all your purchases by just by just waving your wrist. Mm -hmm. And and there'll be 2,500 Amazon Go stores, the brick and mortar stores where you'll just walk in and out and you don't wait at a checkout line. And now I see on my Twitter stream, it's almost gamified where people are bragging about how quickly they walked in and out with what they needed. Uh, you know, I went in and got my, my shopping done all in 30 seconds. Uh, so what is common with Disney and Amazon and a lot of the trailblazers that we work at uh, in order to implement the art of the possible? The common thread in all of this is removing friction. It's removing friction. If you, it's universal uh, truth, in my opinion, that anytime you stop or you slow down, you're degrading the overall experience. It could be at an airport, it could be at a hotel. I love that I can go to a Marriott hotel and instead of going to the check-in counter, I just use my phone, unlock the door and go straight to my room. So they just removed friction for me in a hospitality scenario. So whether you're at an airport, at a sporting venue, at the movie theater, wherever you are, this notion of dynamic, it's, it's, it's like fluid dynamics. Uh, if you think about some of the courses we took in physics and we understood. Well, the, maybe the, the, <laughs> yeah, 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 there was a lot of physics courses for double leads. But, but this notion of continuous flow, flow, continuous flow, and continuous flow is only in existence when you remove, remove as much friction as possible. So in an autonomous vehicle, you have this notion of continuous flow of insights with sensors and machine learning and computer visioning. And all of these decisions are happening where the friction in terms of operating the vehicle has been delegated or outsourced to the system. And the only reason I believe Tesla is three years ahead of any other car manufacturer is they have more data collected from every car that's out there and the second closest manufacturer, Waymo, is two orders of magnitude less data. So this is why the market share and the innovation value apply to a company that only produces about you know, 450,000 cars a year, has a larger market cap of GM. So Disney, Amazon, Tesla, why can't we apply those fluid dynamic principles or continuous flow in an enterprise whereby data that's collected at every touch point across the, 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 the consumer journey or the customer journey or employee journey or any stakeholder journey for that matter. If you can collect touch data from every touch point from sales, service and marketing. And of course, before you do that, you need to have that 360 view of the customer. And before you do that, you have to architect and, or and orchestrate integration of multi-cloud and multi-cloud and multi-premise solutions. 
prior to our recent acquisition, the second largest acquisition in Salesforce history was a company that focused on integrating and orchestrating a multi-cloud on-premise solution. The company was MuleSoft. So that purchase to me signaled, at least in my opinion, our commitment to ensuring our customers can create an autonomous enterprise. An autonomous enterprise, in my point of view, is one that collects data, creates insights from that data in near real time, does it across multiple lines of business, and delivers those moments of truth, again, those again, near real-time engagement opportunities to the stakeholders. That could be stakeholders like your marketeer, your service professional, your sales professional, such that you can engage in a meaningful way, co-creating value at the same time, removing friction. And in my mind, that's the only way you can compete in a digital economy where you have hyper-connected knowledge-sharing stakeholders that want and expect you to anticipate their needs and remove any obstacles that exist along the way. So again, long answer to your question, why data? 10 years ago, if you looked at the largest companies in terms of market cap evaluation, there was only one tech company amongst the top 10. Today, if you look at the top 10 most valuable companies by market cap, you'll see that most of them, seven out of 10, are technology companies. You know, Microsoft's and Amazon's and Facebook's and Alibaba and Tencent. And, 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 and so on and so forth. So some say, you know, data is the new oil because 10 years ago, the biggest companies were oil companies. I want to remind people that oil is just thick goop. It's only of value when it goes through a refinery and gets converted to fuel. To me, AI is the refinery of the digital economy. Data as it, on its own has very little to no value. It's when you have that data go through a refinery where you can glean insights that lead to action where you can compete and win. So companies have to rely on data, but if they don't invest in technologies like AI, which in my humble opinion is the definitive technology of the 21st century, meaning without it, you're sicker, poorer, health, unhealthy, and frankly, in, incapable of competing in, in the marketplace. You have to think about how every decision you make not only has to have the customer at the center or stakeholder at the center, I keep reminding myself that it's not just the customer, it's the employee, the customer, the partner, and the communities that you serve. And you need to make sure that you have informed decision-making process. As the surgeon said, get to the grounded truth. Digitalization is about getting to the grounded truth, meaning you have evidence-based decisions that can get you the best possible outcome. And that's how companies, I believe, will compete and win. So there's uh, something in addition to AI or uh, perhaps uh, alongside AI that I think is uh, profoundly disruptive and has made for uh, the view of uh, the world that we judge through our mobile devices, namely uh, social media. When I think of world-class engineering, I think about... I think about design principles that are rooted in sense and respond. Systems that are able to, um, able to, again, in real time, sense and respond, course correct, pivot, inform, expand. So it's not, it's not designed based on static framework, but one that has um, a very fluid, dynamic um, core thread that, 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 that the innovation is built upon. 
And I realized five, six years ago that uh, to develop your sense and, sense and response muscles um, and, and, to, to, and to stay teachable, I think the most important skill that's required in this unprecedented you know, digital economy is, is your, your ability to stay teachable. Um, and you know, when I think about the internet, um, when you say teachable, do you mean, uh, that you are teachable, that you are, uh, available to be taught or do you say, uh, teachable being able to export, uh, your knowledge and your experience? Yeah. I, I, when I say teachable is your willingness to, to, to be taught and, and reciprocate, you know, I'm talking to, uh, you know, I'm talking to uh, some would consider the godfather, the pioneer of tech podcast uh, and the Gilmore gang. So I'd, I've never talked to you about what motivates you to have this incredible heritage with an incredible cadence of inviting, you know, cool people that are that have done really incredible things and are continuing to put a dent in the universe, as Jobs would say. Um, but I guess if I had to guess, I would say. It's for you to stay teachable. It's for you to have conversation, relevant conversations about leading edge technology and new business model innovation and market trends. And at the same time, give your audience the opportunity to contribute and learn. So there's a, it's, it's a bi-directional uh, sense and response uh, capabilities that, that's inherent to, to anyone who's social. So when I think about the power of social media, um, it's, it's, it's I, you know, for the first time in 2018, social media was a number one use of web. So the most time spent uh, early in 2018, the most time spent on, on the internet was on a social network. Towards the end of last year, um, messaging uh, applications actually overtook social as the most time spent uh, on electronic devices and the web was behind a messaging app. I think there's about a half a dozen messaging apps that now have more than a billion monthly active users. Mm -hmm. But when I think about the internet, just you know, stepping back, what is the internet? Internet is, is people. And clearly, uh, you know, those of us who have children and have uh, the opportunity to be around digital natives, uh, you, know, you and I are digital immigrants. We weren't born with smartphones and social networks and cloud and <laughs> and the technologies that our children now have so digital natives obviously are more social uh so people are becoming more social and if the internet is people that means the internet is becoming more social and um you know as a marketeer i used to be asked how do you define a brand uh, and a personal brand or a company brand and I would simply respond, your brand is what people say about you when you're not in the room. What are, what are the stories that, are people, that people are telling about your company, your, yourself, your group, when you're not present? And today, the room is the web. And the web is more social than ever. So when you think about your company brand, your product, your own personal brand, it's important to recognize that for you to stay relevant and for you to continue to stay teachable and for you to continue to develop that sense and response, you need to be where the conversation is. And today the conversation is on social. So it has had profound impact in how I stay teachable. 
uh, I am connected to people like yourself. I'm connected to people that are venture capitalists, founders of successful startups, uh, Fortune 2000 executives across all lines of business, best-selling authors, uh, educators. Uh, you know, so this opportunity not only to scale your own voice and thoughts, but the ability to connect with extraordinary people who volunteer their time, hoping to teach and be taught, is, has had profound impact. I don't believe I would have been afforded the opportunity to work at Salesforce if I didn't create uh, or, or demonstrated ability and desire where I was self-motivated, intrinsically motivated to be social. Um, and all of this, by the way, Steve, happened to me after the age of 40. So, you know, for those of you who are listening, uh, I hope it's, you know, if you're college interns, if you're early in your career, I just want to remind you, you don't have to be great to start, but you have to start in order to be great. And, uh, and, and if you're ignoring the opportunity to share your thoughts and curate accurate, relevant content, if you are able to uh, demonstrate willingness to educate and inspire, and hopefully over time ignite positive action, based on the fact that you've earned the trust of your network, magical things happen. Doors open for you. You find yourself in situations where you, you can't believe you're able to you know, engage with some of the best and brightest people in the world. So it's, um, it's, 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 it's an incredibly powerful teaching tool. I consider, for example, Twitter to be the world's largest community college. You've got all these incredible subject matter experts uh, who are sharing all the time, including the CEO of our company, who I believe is perhaps the most social Fortune 500 CEO on Twitter, bar none. And um, I have seen him provide his cell number, his email address, and he's the most accessible uh, CEO that I believe exists on, on social. And so why uh, is that part of his mindset or the ethos of our company? Because when you have a culture of gratitude, one way to demonstrate that is to be accessible. You know, to say to anyone, if you are willing to engage in a civil manner, <laughs> speaking to things that you have domain expertise and could possibly add value, you raise your hand and you say, I'm here. And, uh, and, uh, and you have to also be mindful uh, of the signal to noise ratio, because obviously, you know, you've got hundreds of millions and billions that are that are connected in this in this uh, in various mediums well let's let's and, drill down on that a little bit uh yes because uh, your uh signal is very very verbose uh you, sure. you how many sure. how many posts do you do on an average day it's my digital diary so uh, i am it just really depends on how curious motivated just, i am uh, you know uh, uh, this is a data-driven uh, many right many tens know. hundreds Many. Right. And, and at the same time, you have to kind of maintain a signal to noise ratio that doesn't put people off. So uh, that dynamic, right. I think, is something that you're, uh, uh, you know, a leader in, uh, in understanding uh, the different kinds of information uh, and pointers into the information universe. Uh, that are important to you. And as you transmit right. that, I think right. uh, you create that sense of trust you're talking about. Right. No, absolutely. Um, I receive weekly 
emails from Twitter, just highlighting my week on Twitter. And for the first time, a couple of them caught my eye because, you know, I have this cadence now of around 18, 19 million impressions a day. And so I did, I did a quick math and I thought, wow, uh, by the end of 2019, uh, my account will produce 1 billion plus impressions. So comments, retweets, shares, a billion impressions is, is, uh, is it, it, was, it was surprising. <laughs> I, 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 was, I was pleasantly surprised. But, you know, so I, you know, it, it, there was a moment of reflection in that, how is it that the account is producing two, three million impressions a day? And um, I think one guiding principle is understanding the difference between manipulation and motivation is a fine line. And that line is intent. What is your intent for sharing? Are you sharing because you want to make an ask? Are you sharing because you want to, you know, uh, um, sell something? You want to get a job somewhere? You want to, you want to become best friends with someone? So what is your intent? And uh, I started this journey with uh, guiding principles that said, uh, I want to educate and inspire. And, uh, and, and hopefully over time, map that education and inspiration set of content to change, ignite positive action. Um, and and so, so one of the things I did right away was I didn't follow everyone that followed me back because I needed a litmus test of whether the person was following me based on the quality of my content or because of the human nature of reciprocity. And that I believe that, that, that the, the nature of reciprocity is very strong and it exists in all of us. So, you know, I, I, I believe if, if I was giving a task of get to a million followers, I could just simply follow a million people. And I'm fairly certain I'd get a million followers back because again, human nature by general, they're kind and there's reciprocity. But in order to test the quality of the content, I purposefully decided to be very mindful, very strict in terms of who I followed. And my criteria for following was the account that I would follow demonstrated the capability of producing multiple good content per day. And I realized the benefit of following that incredible elite list, filtered list, is that when I had time to curate, I would look at an incredible list, rich full of content from trusted sources. So in the last five years, I've been refining and refining, creating private lists where I follow accounts that produce multiple good content per day. And that's how the signal to noise ratio, as far as inbound and curation comes, uh, is, is a very, is, has had major benefits for me. But when I think about the volume that I produce and the notion that my intent isn't to grow the network, I know it's funny because, you know, we're, we're humans. All of us love the vanity metrics, whether we ignore it or not. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, you know, I periodically look to see my follower count, but I'm not sharing with the intent to grow. I'm, and it's a long ball approach because frankly, I get hundreds, Steve, maybe thousands of people that unfollow me on a weekly basis simply because I didn't follow them back. So they view me as maybe someone who, you know, isn't nice enough to follow back or maybe has a big ego or whatever the reason is, I know I'm losing thousands of followers a week because right now I have 385,000 followers and I only follow 300 accounts. So for every thousand people that follow me, I only follow one back or even less than one. 
if you look at the ratio. So, but there's a reason for that, as I mentioned, litmus test for the quality of content, also creating a inbound filter that only focuses on accounts that are producing double digit number of high quality content. So to answer your question in terms of the volume and the, the, the very thin guiding principle, as long as it interests me, it's worth sharing. So I could share how French butter is made, which I had no idea how delicious French butter was made. And, and look, and it has you know, 15,000 retweets and likes. Uh, so I realized, wow, people actually have interest in how French butter is made. Um, I, for a long time, ignored posting on LinkedIn um, because I wasn't looking for work. I wasn't interested in providing references. I was just kind of ignored it. Uh, but I knew my father was connected to me on LinkedIn, and that's the only digital platform that him and I are connected. Last year, uh, March 8th, it was his 78th birthday. I wanted to wish him a birthday wish uh, in a medium where he could see it. So I wrote three sentences wishing my dad a happy birthday, and I reminded him that I, he was my role model and that you know he immigrated to the U.S. at, at, an age, at my age right now and had to rebuild his career and he went to night school and earned a doctorate degree at 66. So it was only three sentences, but essentially talked about how he taught me about grit, happiness, fighting for your happiness, not giving up on your dreams. And next thing I know, I have 10,000 some odd comments and over 1 million views on this post, which reminded me that on certain mediums, when you actually share something that's really orthogonal to what you most likely see, you know, job-related postings versus a heartfelt happy birthday, you actually, there is an unquenchable thirst for people to see empathetic, human, <laughs> non-work-related side of you. Uh, so as Mark Benioff announced Chatter, which was the social uh, in enterprise capabilities in 2009 at Dreamforce, uh, I recall he talked about the power of social is we are going to humanize business. We're going to create a social fabric where you can hear and see great ideas throughout the fabric of an organization, not just the biggest titles, the biggest offices, the biggest, most well-paid employees. So this humanizing business not only reveals your culture, a culture of gratitude, a culture of accessibility, a culture of co-creation of value, but it also gives you an opportunity where the best ideas win, not just the best titles. And I walked away from that, and that was really the genesis. That was the seed that was planted where I became someone that had zero digital footprint to now creating a billion impressions a year. Uh, it's, that, it's, it's a way for me to not only stay teachable, but also in a way give back. Um, and the more you give without expecting a get, the more you get. It, and it sounds like a, a cliche, but it's so true. And I know you know it because before I joined Salesforce, I had some incredible deep conversations about power of social which you influenced me. Um, I also started my own video uh, podcast following the, the path that you trailblazed. So ultimately, a lot of the things that you mentioned that I've done has been uh, the mirror of what you've been doing, but for a much longer period. Um, and, 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 and so, you know, when Mark in his book wrote Adopting a Beginner's Mindset, where you stay curious, you stay hungry, you're free of prejudice, you hold on to your ideas lightly, but your core values tightly. Um, it's that beginner's mindset that allowed me to be influenced by you 
And uh, I'm just simply following your footsteps and having a blast doing it. So thank you. <laughs> well, you know, I, uh, the, I, one of the things I really enjoy about this uh, podcast thing, uh, you know, which we've been doing intermittently for God knows how long, since the beginning, <laughs> basically. Yes. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about it uh, is the unex- unexpected serendipity combining with the, the kinds of fundamentals that you're talking about. They're, they're very emotional in, in nature, right. Uh, right. and they're very difficult to capture or, uh, as you suggest, or I think you suggest, uh, uh, try to spark. It's more that it, it, it's in the uh, ether. It's in the cracks right. between the, the things that we work on, the things that we uh, hope and dream about. And, you know, this conversation, you know, it's been pretty one-sided, which I really like because, <laughs> uh, you know, you're just irrepressible and, uh, and that's a good thing. So, uh, but at the same time, there's this, there's this internet thing. Uh, you mean you can go anywhere? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, well, you know, it's, uh, everything has meaning, but not everything is meaningful. So yes, you can, you can go everywhere, but are you leaving a mark? Or at least are you, is the place better after you were there and left? Uh, you know, uh, if you adopt the mindset that you have, where, you know, networking is about giving, if that's, if, if you realize the importance of giving, um, and, um, and, and, and you, you know, you realize that uh, you have to appreciate every connection uh, and you have to earn, earn every connection. It's very easy to hit the unfollow button. It's, it's very easy to unfriend. Uh, so how do, you, how do you continue to demonstrate relevance and how do you maintain trust? Uh, you talked about the stress that uh, some of the social networks have felt clearly more people in society, not just technologists, but people in general have realized over the last two, three years that uh, the, the impact of social networks uh, from political impact to, 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 to brand affinity and relevance, uh, relevance, you know, executives have been fired for what they've shared on social. Uh, and, and, and so, um, in this hyper-connected knowledge sharing economy, um, it's not just your IQ, it's also your EQ and your LQ, your love quotient. Um, and all of that defines your character. Rachel Botsman, who's a um, lecturer at Oxford, uh, recently wrote a best-selling book about trust. And she said, trust is competence plus character. And she took the competence piece and broke it down to two elements, capability and reliability. Um, You can be reliable, but incompetent. You could be competent, but not reliable. You need both in terms of the competence piece of the equation. And she took character and broke it down to two elements, integrity and benevolence. Benevolence is your, do you have the right intent, the positive intent and empathy in terms of your actions, your words, and your core beliefs. So capability, uh, reliability, integrity, and benevolence was her equation in terms of trust. At Salesforce, trust is by far our number one core value, followed by customer success, innovation, and equality. 
And uh, today, uh, if you are not governed by trust, and at the beginning of the podcast, we talked about automation. We talked about autonomous cars. We talked about autonomous enterprise. The more and more you delegate uh, and outsource decision-making to algorithms, and those algorithms are simply your beliefs codified, um, it's important to understand trust. It's important to understand uh, equality. You know, if the algorithms that are defining your autonomous enterprise are 20 white guys sitting around a table writing code and algorithms, you're going to have blind spots that, in my belief, will significantly and negatively impact the brand promise and who you are and who you want to be. So the question of equality and diversity, it's, it's, it's not just a, a luxury, it's a necessity in order for you to, uh, you know, compete in this algorithmic, uh, more and more AI-powered economy. So this is where trust, this is where I go back to motivation and inspiration has that fine line defined by intent all comes together. And uh, there's going to be profound impacts of, uh, again, social networks and mobile technologies, sense and response through Internet of Things and, of course, AI that, uh, frankly, we don't understand yet. Um, I don't believe there are any experts today in any of these emerging technologies. I don't even use best practice anymore because I realized that the things that I thought was best practice two years ago are now sometimes obsolete. So my language now is more considered practice given what I know today. Uh, And neither you and I claim to be futurist, although sometimes people ask us to forecast what we think might happen in the future. And I just believe that, uh, you you know, it's those core values that you have and the mindset of staying teachable and adopting a beginner's mindset and being accessible and available, which goes back to the social construct we talked about, that will really guide you and, and ensure that you, you, know, you continue to add value moving forward. Yeah, I would call that the near present. And uh, uh, you've right. just given a, a very good definition of something which uh, really is just a joke. So, uh, <laughs> listen, you, it, this has been uh, wonderful uh, to be able to experience the, the VALA uh, up close. And uh, uh, I know you've got a very successful podcast and uh, the number of people that are following you uh, on Twitter continues to geometrically or exponentially uh, expand. And uh, I, I just, you know, keep up the great work. We really appreciate it. Thank you for being a friend. Thank you for being a mentor. I know you're uncomfortable every time I say that to you in person, but it's true. Your actions speak much louder than your words. And for those of us who are teachable and watching you and trying to glean wisdom from you, I can tell you that it's not just me. Uh, You're you're impacting so many of us in our company, our our customers, our partners. And to be honest with you, if, if there's a handful of reasons why I joined Salesforce, you're one of them. So I appreciate it. All right, well, Vala Afshar, uh, you need no introduction. Uh, I want to thank you for doing this, and uh, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you, Steve. Uh